So, hello and welcome to the Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast. I'm Simon, and tonight's guest, special guest, you may know him from Sister Sister, you may know him from Smart Guy, Lizzie McGuire, City Guys, all of the things, many things to come. The City Guys not on there? City Guys is on there, yes. Okay. I got nervous. I got nervous. Harvey Lowe Jr. is here with us. Thank you so much and welcome to the podcast. Appreciate it, man. Um, I really appreciate being here. I don't do many of these, so it's fun to kind of talk with you about the 90s and stuff that was going on in the 90s. Fun time for me. I think it was probably one of the better decades, but that's just me, (laughs) you know? So, yeah, yeah, that's, it's going to be cool. both of us, both yeah. of us. We all love the 90s. And you, I mean, so like I, I grew up uh, loving, you know, all of those shows, Smart Guy in particular. It was it's like my heart. I love that show so much. And uh, I mean, I heard recently that they're they're thinking of doing a reboot. Um, would could would could Dion make an appearance? Would you be open to that if they brought? I it back? would absolutely. If Taj was like, "Hey man, you want to strap on some? You, you want to drink some Alpha Boost 2000, and you know, um, strap on another slicker maybe or whatever." So yeah, I, we'll have another Dog Burger Rebellion. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm down. I'm totally down for a reboot. You know, I'm trying to figure out where Dion would be. You know, like back in the day, his character was uh, thrown together by um really really smart writers but i was able to like um take what was on the page and kind of make him um kind of mold him you know really i'm doing uh i used to watch a lot of old um black exploitation movies you know back in the day uh you know the mac being one of them superfly black caesar and so when i was um presented with the Dion role um I you know he was kind of flat he was an, a villain you know on the first episode he really was oh I don't know if he would um in today's uh climate with regard to sexual harassment and all that stuff like he, he would be frowned upon <laughs> right now that the writers would definitely have had to tone him down but yeah like the first time he had a goon with him and everything mm-hmm. you know he rolled around because you know he was mouthy so, um, yeah, that was who Dion was back in the day. Really, who I'm doing is I'm, I, I, he's a young version of Max Julian, who played the Mac. And he had like um, he had a swagger about him. He was a hustler. And, you know, his his voice tone was way up here and he had a slick way of talking. And, you know, that, you know, Mac Daddy Dion's clock and everybody, you know. So, and you know, at, at, that was the first version of Dion. But then the second version um, was, hey, listen, everyone has kind of that guy in, in their school. And he there's no um, shortage of hustlers or guys that were very entrepreneurial back then that figured out ways to make money outside of school you know so that's who Dion embodies and uh, you know it's stuck that character has stuck with me for quite some time yeah rightfully so as because I mean it's classic and you you were so great and and are so great at being like theatrical with your body like your movements are very specific to you you know they're kind of like a signature of yours I mean is that something (laughs) that is just like you as a person or something that you know you go into when you're playing roles you know what um I think it's because of my dance background and I was kind of a hyperactive kid so I did a lot of I did a lot of, uh, you know, activity. I played tennis, I played basketball, I played uh, baseball, um, and I danced for like a long time. A lot of people don't really know before I got the role of Boots and Newsies, um, I had been dancing for quite some time. Like I started dancing professionally when I was about nine. And then, um, you know, it snowballed into this tour, these tours that I would go on uh, for Reebok International. That was like about 11 and then maybe about 12, I went to the audition for Newsies. And that audition was a long process. You know, like that was about about six months, you know, with, wow. with regard like the cattle call, which was the first audition, and then to the actual finished audition, whereas they had the eight principal Newsies. So, yeah, I find ways to 
uh, incorporate body movements with, with a lot of my characters. I know that Ernie and Sister, and Sister Sister was kind of another character that I, um, uh, he was a dancer as one, at one point. And uh, he, he always was very a very theatrical character too. So I figured out ways, uh, the writers were really good about asking me like, okay, so what do you do on your spare time? And I was like, yeah, well, you know, I dance. And, you know, back in the day, um, in the 90s, background dancing, I would leave the set. And I don't know if a lot of people know this or not, but, you know, Marcus Houston was an immature back then. And I used to be a background dancer for immature. So um, we did Soul Train together. We did tours together. People thought me and him were like brothers or cousins, you know, but, um, you know, because we would always go together and uh, go together to the rehearsals and stuff. But it was because we we were actively working, you know, we would leave a tour and then go straight to the sister sister set, you know, or leave the sister sister set and go straight to the rehearsals. So dance was like, and I would be a background dancer with along with one of my homies or whatever, or a crew of people for immature and then switch roles and go straight into the sister sister thing. So wow. yeah, we, we were pulling double shifts back in the nineties. Like there was no amount of not working. It was about paying them bills and getting that money <laughs> back then. <laughs> <laughs> what? So did, uh, was Marcus Houston, um, did, did that play any part of you getting involved in sister sister or did you meet him through that process um i met him through that process before i actually met marcus um once before on another pilot that i shot um uh but that was a chris stokes production chris stokes was their, was their manager back then mm-hmm. and so i met him once through that but then uh, I went out for the role of Roger and um, he booked it and I didn't. So, and that's kind of been the case with all of the shows I've been on, you know, like um, truth be told, I have friendships with a lot of the, the, the principal actors on these shows. Um, Wesley Jonathan, who I was on city guys with me and him did Thea, uh, Jason Weaver um, of the Lion King fame um and uh you know Thea sister sister uh, he's been on um smart guy uh you know a lot of tv shows uh, that he's been on I was um originally um going I went out on the, the roles for his you know the, the part that he played which was um Taj's brother in mm-hmm. smart guy and it was between three other people me and him we went to network and he ended up getting the role, you know? So a lot of these shows, I was, I'd be right there, <laughs> you know, right on the cusp. But uh, they're really good about recognizing, okay, who can we pair RV with that makes great comedy? So, you know, I've, I haven't been forgotten and I've been grateful for all the opportunities that I've had thus far, you know? Um, so yeah, even though I don't get those roles, I ended up coming on and, you know, being a character in those shows in some shape or form or capacity, you know, and so it's been fun during that time because I get to work with people that I love, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. And and it's great that they're recognizing talent and wanting to include it, you know, in, in some form or another. And then you're being able to take those opportunities and yeah. do so much with it. I mean, to the point that, you know, we're talking you know 25 years later or, or whatever it is and you know it's still having an impact and still being streamed you know all over the world I mean, I'm couple- surprised. yeah <laughs> I mean smart guy you know there was a kid that lives up the street from me and he was like hey you play you play Dion on smart guy I said dude you weren't even born with the show camp you know what I'm saying you're like what seven eight years old he's like yeah but I mean I remember your character you know from then and you were really good and I said well, okay, that that's cool, but it's the as I understand it, it's the number one. It's one of the number one streamed shows on Disney Plus, if I'm not mistaken. So, sense. and that's across the board. That's like from age. That's a big demographic, like age forty to like age ten. You know, <laughs> kids are watching Smart Guy. You know, so it's it's fun. It's fun to to be uh, exposed to like two different or three different generations of kids yeah I mean I got I mean a couple a couple things from within all of that I mean uh, Marcus Houston played a great Roger but I could see you as being a great Roger as well you would have been great in that role and then with regards to smart guy sister sister those becoming such you know international successes like yeah was there a was there a point that you 
it kind of hit you that wow like people you know i'm talking to you from you know just outside of london in the uk right now and you know there's people all over the world that have enjoyed this i mean was there a moment where that kind of sank in for you um let's see yes um maybe about 10 years ago it started to sink in when the rerun started to you know when people from other countries would approach me and go wow we get smart guy out here you know social media has allowed everyone to just touch their favorite you know they can send them a personal message whoever they uh feel like they want to talk to they could talk to those people you know um and i nine times out of ten will respond because i'm not doing much (laughs) you know but um yeah it really um when myspace was out and i don't know if you know, people, I might be dating myself, you know, but, you know, MySpace was a big thing and I had a MySpace page and people would go, wow, I'm a real big fan of Sister Sister. And I'm like, oh, you get it out there in, in uh, New Brunswick and, you know, and, and all these, uh, you know, foreign places. It's cool. You know, in Britain, it's pretty big, too, as well. So and also streaming because even networks uh, are, you know, um, you know, they, the show has been in syndication forever, but internationally, you know, I'm really surprised by the response it's been getting. Well, and it's a really, really positive show. I mean, almost potentially like ahead of its time a little bit in terms of it being like, I, I saw, I think uh, it was either Jason Weaver or Taj had uh, posted something about it, but basically saying about how you had such a positive look on uh, on a black family, you know, on a pre- pretty much, you know, all black cast with a with a single uh dad who is a great role model and you know was providing for his family and it was just like such a positive great look a gifted child um you know that was in in school and you know gifted musically you had you know uh Marcus and Mo with their band and everything it's like yeah. um yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a great it's a great it's just a great all-round show I, like, I don't know how anyone could ever have watched it you know as a kid or now and have anything you know negative to say about it and you know and you were a big part of that <laughs> I'm glad I was just glad to be working <laughs> at that point you know I mean um I was we were playing we were high school kids we were we were adults playing high school kids you know uh but we still were very you know youthful in our in our appearance so it was more about um we we I think the show made a conscious decision to be wholesome to be fun to tackle a couple of um deep things and and also um you know put, putting this uh family um that was a blended family I believe um you know, some of the characters, they didn't broach that too much, but, you know, a lot of people will be, oh, wait, wait, Jason Weaver doesn't really look like, you know, the father, the father, the sister, the father, and Taj look alike. Jason, you know, so that that was a thing, you know, when people go back and look at the older episodes, they go, okay, now there's a discussion about it, you know, but back then it wasn't a big deal. This is a dad uh, taking care of his family, setting positive role models, um, also, you know, the, the son's getting in trouble and he's handling the son, the daughter and the, you know, the uh, uh, this genius kid <laughs> you know, at the same time. It's flawlessly, you know, all kinds of back in the, in the 90s, we needed those imagery, that that imagery, you know, and that was important back in the day, you know, so it, it spawned, you know, for the, the content creators and the writers and the producers and directors uh, of today they remember those shows, you know, so we needed those to springboard into the new generation of shows that you see today, you know? So yeah, it, it was, uh, I felt that we were breaking ground and from sister, sister, to smart guy, those, those two, uh, tent poles were, were things that, you know, T and Tamara's legacy and Taj's legacy will live on forever. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great answer. Great answer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to, to take it even further back, um, we I just had um, Scott Cordell on the podcast. He was on, uh, he was one of the Newsy dancers um, yeah. as, as well. I mean, what was, what was that experience like for you being in Newsies in, in Disney and uh, you know, it being, you know, it's it's still today, you know, a big film. I mean, Scott was saying it was actually considered like a flop at the beginning, uh, but, but you know, it's gone on to have like sort of cult status. I mean, yeah, what was that experience like? Yeah, it was definitely um, 
panned. (laughs) (laughs) I remember getting these, um, you know, back in the day, Disney would send us courier packs. They were like this thick, you know, of press clippings, reviews from Variety. They would copy them and they would give them to us. And I would read and I would be happy to get them because I would be like, oh, okay, great. Someone's going to, you know, let's read reviews on the movie. And then by the middle of the <laughs> paragraph, they, it's terrible. It's two hours of this. It's, it's God awful and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, the movie musical genre is dead. And <laughs> dude, I was like, okay, did anyone like the movie? <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it was p- critically panned. Yes. However, it was this, um, the story stuck with people. Um, you know, the Joseph Pulitzer and these big high powered figures back then taking advantage of these kids, you know, really resonated with a whole generation of, you know, children that actually didn't know that story. Um, and so now, they were watching this obviously you know when disney takes something they <laughs> they do what they do with it right <laughs> so um yeah uh i was proud uh, to be part of that of the telling of that story because it's such a underdog story you know and who who hasn't experienced that in their life you know oh you know i'm way down here and we know the boss is taking advantage of my time they're asking me to do things that i can't do and then all of a sudden you're going to you know, they're going to figure out a way to fatten their pockets on my back, not happy, you know, so let's, let's give, let's stick it to them. And there's also strength in numbers. You know, it's, it's, it showed the power of unions. It showed the power of people, the power of the people sticking together for what's right and to the right to really earn a living and learn, earn a fair wage, you know? So yeah, um, it was critically panned. But as the years went by, I started getting these emails about, oh, man, you were in Newsies. That was one of my favorite things. And then people would, um, high school productions, would do their own version of Newsies. And they would post it up on, like, YouTube. And then I would get emails saying, hey, um, you know, do you have any old songs or whatever from Newsies? Because we're huge fans. And I would go, I thought that movie was terrible. <laughs> you know, but people, people go, no, that movie was awesome. You know, so it really started snowballing into this you know people would reach out to each other once again through social media (laughs) you know people would connect with each other about newsies and all of a sudden you'd see these scores of newsies fans go yeah we get together and watch newsies we've made our own newsie names we're fansies uh, matter of fact, that's one of my one of my friends today. Abby is uh, the catalyst for the play to get done. You know, it showed it showed the power. Actually, the funny thing is, um, in in retrospect, the the essence of Newsies and now the popularity of the Broadway play is exactly what the movie was about. So people got together and forced Disney <laughs> to come up with to tell. Uh, a, a live stage Broadway version of that and they responded and then the people responded you know by supporting it at in Broadway and then having a nationwide tour and um, then putting it and then filming that tour and then putting it on um, you know Disney plus and to stream that is all the people <laughs> talking you know that is taking Disney to task and saying that property we love that that thing you did with newsies we want that you know so we want you to tell that story and we want you to tell it um again and um and so yes that uh in essence that's what happened and actually the newsy streetcar show at disney um at california adventure got done because the people once again wanted to see something at the theme parks you know with regard to disney and newsies so yeah like that's that's the power of the people working again through through um through the newsies brand and that movie so yeah i'm i'm really surprised it's really been a people it's really been the people driving that property you know so i'm impressed i'm more impressed by them than <laughs> than the when the movie came out you know cuz they they want more and disney's giving it to them 
Well, that's great. And that's sure that's worth way more than what critics think, right? Is you've got Absol- fan love. Oh, yeah. Rotten, we didn't have Rotten Tomatoes back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Had we did, we did, we would have probably gotten a better <laughs> outlook. But yeah, no Rotten Tomatoes back then. But we have people that really clamor on to that Disney brand and that that uh, way that Disney tells stories. And kudos to um, to, De- to uh, Kenny Ortega, who was the director, because he's continued to flourish with Hocus Pocus and the High School Musical brand and Descendants. And, you know, he continues to push the movie musical genre in so many dope directions. It's insane. You know, if I didn't have bad knees, I'd be right there trying to dance with him. <laughs> Well, so how so how did the dancing go? So so even before Newsies, is that what you were doing before acting? Was it, did it go dancing yeah. and then into acting? Yes, indeed. I would uh, go to dance classes every Saturday. It was a way to keep me off the streets of L.A., you know. So that obviously back in the early 90s, we're going 90s again, you know, in L.A., the gangbang population was was thick. And I live on a street that literally cuts right straight through uh, two sides. There's a crib side and there's a blood side. <laughs> so it was like, depending on which way you was going, you had to figure out what you was going to wear that day. Oh, <laughs> you wow. know. So, do not get you know hit up or what have you so um in order for my mother and my father to keep me um out of trouble boy you dance okay cool we're gonna put you in dance class every saturday that kept me off the street disciplined and um right with the world you know so i would leave and and honestly it turned me into it you know what dance does and is and sports do for most kids in the, in, in this in LA is it gives them structure you know so that's what it gave me it turned me from dancing on the street corner in front of Danny's liquor store into like a professional dancer you know so um I was pretty I was, I was pretty grateful to my mom and my pops for supporting that because neither of them have any background in any of that you know, my mother was a teacher and my dad worked for Lockheed Aircraft. So he was an engineer. My mother was a teacher. So they were like, we know nothing about this. We just know you're good at it. So they continue to push. Yeah. That's really cool. And, and I fully agree. I think, yeah, um, sport and yeah, structure, all of these things just give away the channel energy and in a, yeah. you know, positive way and, you know social skills and all of those other things so i mean i mean who was who were some of your like dancing uh like influences like was oh. were you like a michael jackson fan was i mean absolutely kind of... <laughs> yeah i think i um <laughs> funny about michael jackson um i think i scored a vhs copy of captain eo <laughs> and, um once again, we back to the 90s, VCRs, <laughs> you know, and you would have blank tapes and you would have, I mean, literally my, my schooling of, you know, uh, my acting school was just copying shows like the Cosby show, like a different world, like um, hanging with Mr. Cooper, like grabbing videos off of MTV and then studying them, like just putting them in the VHS player and just rewinding them. And then I would sit in front of the TV and just mimic the moves and figure out how to do that. That was way before I even got to dance class, you know? So yeah, dance was always a thing where you see Michael Jackson, you see Prince, you see Cameo, you see Kiss, you see these bands, uh, you know, um, doing what they do best. And then you want to mimic that. You're like, wow, that is so dope that every time he, you know, Michael Jackson steps on a curb, it lights up. What the heck is that about? You know? So yeah, I want to, I was one of those kids that was fascinated by those things. And I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could um, on my own, you know, first, before I got to someone giving me instruction with regard to dance. And I also had in the, and we also had in the nineties, a lot of, celebration of what happened previous so there was Motown that you know they had a Motown 25 show that they that Michael Jackson moonwalked on for the first time that we all saw you remember I mean you know people would have to remember that but that was a 90s thing I think that happened in the early 80s or the 90s and um what they did was they uh ran through all of the old Motown like you know Sammy Davis Jr. 
and Tina Turner and um, you know Sam Cooke and uh, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, and I would I had a tape of Motown 25. And I would just re I would watch that religiously so much so that I would probably remember some of the stuff, you know, uh, by, by memory. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I studied that. I studied all those older artists. Gregory Hines was one of my favorite dancers. Uh, he, he was in tap and, you know, God rest his soul. He's, he passed away not too long ago. Um, Michael Jackson was also one of my favorite dancers. Prince was also one of my favorite dancers, not just because he could um, do the splits and jump in six inch heels, but because he was a renowned musician, played every single instrument. Um, Sammy Davis Jr., once again, one of my favorite dancers, Sam Ann Sims. Um, Harold Nicholas was also one of my favorite tap dancers. You know, I started in tap and then tap kind of merged into hip hop being more popular back in the early 90s you know so um yeah uh those are some of my some of the core favorite dancers and then when you you know in the maybe 92 maybe 93 ish you know you start uh learning who were the more popular hip-hop dancers back then because I was going to a studio in Los Angeles that was the premier place for hip-hop dance you know everyone who is anyone BBD, BBD, Belle Bib DeVoe, um, they rehearsed at that studio that I was going to. So I was like, I'm here, you know, I'm in the place to be, you know. So those hip hop dancers that were coming through there, I learned a lot from them. There was Swoop, there was Moody, there was um, uh, Fatima that was there, and Fatima choreographed a lot of the Aaliyah catalog. Uh, a lot of, uh, she worked with all of the artists uh, from Timberland's camp in the early 90s so I was in the epicenter of dance and choreography for that whole string of 90s hits that everyone remembers so yeah I mean I got I got I had some great teachers back in the day that's all so awesome (laughs) I'm kind of forgetting that I meant to ask you questions I'm just like as if I'm watching something on YouTube or something (laughs) that I'm really enjoying uh okay so you then then you sort of you're into the acting at the same time I mean did you have a preference if you could have only chosen one like would it have been dance or would it have been acting uh I think it probably would have been dance you know I think I made my bones in the choreography and the dance world so much so because I was also teaching as well um you know you get to be a dancer for so long at this particular studio that you um you become a teacher you know if you can if you can you know uh, you have your own hip-hop class okay great I'm, I'm I'm with it you know so I was into teaching as well and also I get that from my mother you know because she was a, a social studies teacher it just kind of naturally gravitated towards teaching and you know during my darker times I don't want to say darker but during the times where I was not working much (laughs) you know um the uh Taj's mother um would call me and say hey listen can you teach Taj a couple of eight counts you know before the show you know we got him dancing on some on some uh, things and she would actually hire me to go while we're not filming the smart guy to go teach Taj a couple of moves here and there so I thought that was cool, you know? Yeah, that, that, was, that was her looking out as well. And that goes back to the thing where I think there's, they've submitted their legacy within Hollywood as, you know, people that lift, uplift uh, certain actors that, say, that they see worked hard and were really talented. That's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, so to to speak on on that, I guess. So you you we were in Sister Sister first, and uh, so you did you you just kind of instantly connected with you know Tia and Tamara and that their whole family in real life. Was that just kind of you just you know gelled? I did, yeah. Um, I knew Tia and Tamara from hip hop class. That once again, I was at the school where all the the hip hop <laughs> was that. So um, I saw, I had met them um, at, at class, you know, on Saturdays, you know, it was probably, it was the place to be. The place would be packed on Saturdays. So I saw Tia and Tamara, she would take, they would be taking classes there at Regina School of Performing Arts. And I would be like, hey girls, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, every now, every now and again, we would talk, but we didn't garner a relationship until you know, it was, I read that they were going to get a show 
and I was to audition for Roger. So I didn't meet, I didn't even meet them until I started actually working on the show. You know, Marcus had already gotten the part. And then I started to, um, my agent started to put me on auditions for, you know, a character. They didn't know which character it was, but I started going on a couple of different characters there. So I landed on Ernie and um, I got the first one which was just really kind of a DJ um, <laughs> situation where TN, I think that episode was Tia and Tamara um, were, was going to take the car and it was, oh, it was um, Halloween. I think it might have been a Halloween episode. Nope, nope, I'm lying to you. There was an episode uh, of Sister Sister where Tia and Tamara were going to have a house party, <laughs> you know, and I was going to be their DJ. So that was my first, you know, way uh, that was my first role that I had won with them and then they started to slowly build Ernie into a character there that was going to be Roger's friend you know mm-hmm. so that's what it ended up being nice that's awesome and, and I mean how would you compare the your uh, experiences from sister sister to smart guy oh they, they were both really great yeah I remember um you know the the let's see if there anything that stands out I couldn't say really because I was just trying to work back then like if you're you know an actor you know you're just there to really do a job and go and not ruffle anyone's feathers or just do a job because your agent said hey look this is where you got to be you know but we were also understand we were also doing three hours of school a day too you know so it was about time is always of the essence, you know, so you go to school three hours and then you maybe take a week to just bank hours so that they, we can use them. And then the kids can work, you know, uh, longer hours. So we were doing that for, uh, you know, we, that would happen for weeks on end. Oh, we've got four episodes to shoot. It's one episode every week that we shoot, you know? So we were like, okay, let's just knock a lot of these school hours out so that we can just completely you know finish our episodes and then you know everyone's happy (laughs) so yeah that was that was fun times those were fun I don't I don't know if there was any type of you know significant transition I just would say that um the 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 writers were doing their due diligence with regard to character building and giving um Tia and Tamara and Taj some palatable characters that they could really interact with um, and have really dope storylines with as well. You know, it it needs to be entertaining as well too, you know? So, um, but I think that there was a conscious decision to keep bringing um, characters on that were um, multidimensional, you know? Um, We have, you know, Ernie was a theater major, you know, um, Dion Hustler. So those two things, they always know that I can bring kind of an animated, you know, I could bring the character to life um, and depending on whatever I'm, you know, uh, whatever uh, is happening with the character in the situation. Um, So, you know, when we did those things, it, uh, as far as rounding out the cast, uh, it was a fun time and everyone was having a good time during that time, you know, so we could, we could improvise a little bit. We could go outside the realm of uh, our comfort zones with some characters. And then we could also touch on a couple of things with, which is what I did with, with Dion's character when we first started. Um, but then we start to go into a place where we can have Dion be there and be a school friend to Marcus and Mo. And they could have their threesome there, uh, you know, their their gruesome threesome, and uh, you know they could definitely, uh, you know, cause trouble in that regard. Or Dion brings some type of trouble to these straight guys, you know, because hey, it's like uh, this is Dion is is going to get you in trouble some kind of way. But they've got to figure out a way to be like, wait a minute, no, you you trying to hustle us? Are you trying to hustle us? Or are you trying to? Because everyone low-key really doesn't want to do the work you know they back then they were like we don't want to we don't want to do like hard work I know Mo doesn't Mo is like where's the money hold on how do you get that okay I gotta I gotta wait for you to get that and you don't have to even work that hard just do it this way you know and what kid isn't gonna do that for sure I I mean the my favorite element of smart guy was uh the Marcus and Mo sort of connection and you got to 
you know, be part of that, you know, almost pretty much more than anyone, uh, I guess. So, and like, you know, creating that group, that threesome, like you were saying, I mean, did, did you have like instantly, did you have great chemistry with Omar Gooden and Jason Weaver? Was that just like instant or how, how did that come to be? We had great chemistry uh, before we even started doing the show. Me and Jason Weaver did a show called Thea um, a long time ago before Smart Guy. And I was a character named Otis on that show, as well as um, um, with, uh, uh, let's see. So it was Brandy Norwood that was on the show, um, Thea Badal, Jason Weaver. And um, I was just there. And also who played along with me was Wesley Jonathan. So uh, Wesley from City Guys, you know, and other he's gone on to do so many big things. It's Mm -hmm. ridiculous, you know. So, yeah, we all have worked together uh, previously. And then when we got to Smart Guy, it was like, okay, now we know what to do, you know, so. We now we know how where to get our laughs here and here and there, you know. Um, we're just grateful to it for the writers to allow us to try to, you know, take the script, which was the clay, and then form it into something funny, you know. Oh, yeah, let's add that. Let's add this. Okay, cool. Here's the lingo we want you to use during that. And then the rewrites would come in and it'd be like, okay, cool. Now we've got something we can work with, you know. Awesome. And, and, uh, so, once smart guy finishes actually sorry one last question on that is did did you guys film in front of a live audience on sister sister and smart guy yes we did yes we did both shows what was that like that was great yeah because you know we didn't do many retakes (laughs) you know we were we rehearsed pretty well um during the week so when the week uh when the the show would uh, the network would come back with rewrites and they would say, no, you can't say this. You can't say that. That's about Thursday, you know? <laughs> so um, we're, we're still tinkering by Thursday, but then our, our network run throughs were smooth and ready to roll. And um, yeah, like we, when the audience would hit, we would know where our laughs are coming from. You know, we would know we would be a well-oiled machine by that time. And that was great because, you know, um, we get to talk to the fans, interact with them as well. Um, curtain call time would come and we would, we would say what's up to them afterward and meet and go in the audience and say hi and get feedback. Yeah, it was fun performing in front of a live studio audience back then. Yeah. That's so cool. I always wished that I could like be part of that, you know, but you know, never <laughs> going to happen being here. But uh, <laughs> so It'll, it, I, might happen. It, it, it might happen yeah <laughs> if uh if they do the reboot you have to convince them to uh film it in the uk for some odd reason like why i'm not? with it i'm with all of that i'm with all of that you know <laughs> I, unfortunately the powers that be <laughs> you know i don't know that they're working on it so i that's all i gotta say you know nothing's ever etched in stone in hollywood you know it might be a surprise and and, and I, initially it should kind of be that way because when it comes out it's a surprise you know, so because if you know everything before the show hits, then it's not a surprise anymore. You know, um, I was I was pretty disappointed. Well, I, I don't know, disappointed, but I was like, I, I was kind of looking forward to the Lizzie McGuire reboot as well. <laughs> you know, I was I was kind of looking forward to that one because if Mr. Diggs was going to come back in what capacity I was I was curious to see in what capacity he would come back you know, in some shape or form, um, because that was a great role as well. Like, I, I think I've taken roles throughout my career or I've formed characters that try to be different from the other one. Although I, I would give it the same energy. Um, some, you know, a teacher versus Dion versus Ernie versus Otis, you know, um, versus J.J. Mayfield from Jesse, which was the last Disney Channel show that I did uh all those people are different people you know so i try i've I've always wanted to be a character actor you know for the for the better part of you know i was i always loved watching uh jeffrey wright is one of my favorite you know uh actors out there robert downey jr also you know one of my favorite uh everyone loves denzel (laughs) that's a that's a given you know uh will smith yeah cool martin lawrence excellent you know um Character actors, though, for African-Americans. Sean and Marlon Wayans does that uh, really well. You know, they know how to go from that spectrum to that spectrum. But Jeffrey Wright, for me, something 
about what Jeffrey Wright does with regard to character and transforming into his own character. Uh, Don Cheadle does that really well too. Like I've just gravitated on onto um, as an as an actor. Uh, so yeah, that's the deal. Well, well, with um, with Lizzie McGuire, I mean, how did that come about? Is it? It sounds like is it once you're in like the Disney machine, so to speak, you're on their <laughs> radar for when roles come up. Did it sort of just connect through that, or is it like a whole fresh audition process? That actually might be the way they do it, <laughs> but I have no idea. <laughs> so, I mean, I in my in my in my mind, yes. That is the way that you that Disney operates. Like, okay, RV has done newsies. We will keep him on the board. <laughs> you know, oh, we have another show. Uh, we know he plays a great character. We'll keep him on the board for Lizzie McGuire. Fifteen years later, after he did newsies, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, um, in my mind, I would love for it to have gone down that way. Who knows? Maybe they have. Maybe that's the way they do do it. But in my estimation, I've always been blessed to have great agents you know, that would always go, Arby's right for this character. Let's put a tape together about of, of all the things that he's done and let's get him in an audition, you know. Um, Lizzie McGuire, uh, is that the one we're talking about? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Lizzie McGuire, um, that was a role that I scored through the writers of Smart Guy mm-hmm. because they were working on that show. And so um, it was I think it was going to be maybe a one-off of Lizzie McGuire's zany substitute teacher, <laughs> Mr. Diggs. And so I was like, okay, cool. Uh, Stan Rogal saw my saw a tape of mine uh, with um, smart, uh, sister, sister, and you know Thea and Lizzie McGuire. I mean, not Lizzie McGuire, but Thea and all the shows that I had been on. And he said, yeah, we'll bring him in for an audition. Next thing you know, I was kind of working at that point. So. Uh, I was just trying to figure out who Mr. Diggs was. Mr. Diggs is a young substitute teacher that has unconditional ways of teaching his class, you know, but seeing as how he's a substitute, kids are like, what is he on? (laughs) You know, like, is he going to just do the lesson plan? No, I'm not going to just teach the lesson plan. I'm going to, I'm going to devise a project for you guys to do, because I want you to get the full scope of what I'm trying to teach you. So Yes, that that whole thing um, about being in the Disney bubble, that is a thing, you know, but I think it's very calculated. So it's with the actor's representative and uh, also the projects that are being presented at the time, you know, if I could, if if that answers the question. (laughs) Yeah, because to be real about it, um, I was working I was doing temporary work. I was doing a temp job. You know, I was about as broke as I could possibly be during that time. And so I worked at a, a, um, a, uh, let's see, I worked at a, uh, a stock brokerage called Brunt, Gruntle and Company answering the phones at the front desk. <laughs> you know, this is what I was doing. And then um, when Lizzie McGuire episodes would come on, I was also in a band during that time called Poppy Seeds and uh, we were a rock band. So I was like, I was temping in the daytime uh, in the morning. And then I was rehearsing for my band at night. And then during the middle of the day, I was shooting Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> so it was like three things that were those, the temp poles for me. I was tired because I would, I would have to be at work for the opening bell at like 4.30 in the morning or 5 a.m. Wow. So, yeah, I had to, I was sleeping in the daytime, but I had that much energy to do that, you know? So I was like rehearsing, going to show. There was an episode of Lizzie McGuire where I had to go back and overdub my um, my my lines because I lost my voice the night before doing a show, <laughs> for, you know, doing a poppy seed show. So like I was, I was working at that time, you know? So Lizzie McGuire was, a gig you know for me and it was like this is a dope show I didn't even realize then during uh during that time how impactful how much people loved the show I just knew it was a great little oh this is a great little show you know about um family structure and you know it's, there's some wholesomeness to it it was dope you know I liked the writing and it was kind of like Ally McBeal but for kids so I was <laughs> like cool 
I'm down, you know, who, who, what can I do, you know? And then they kept giving, you know, Mr. Diggs' character <laughs> kept uh, getting more and more play on the show. And he was uh, tasked with trying to fit, you know, giving these kids these life lessons, you know, but in unconventional ways. So I think that's what Mr. Diggs uh, offered Lizzie, uh, Lizzie McGuire and during that time. It's another massive show, like another like international huge show. It's crazy. Is it huge out there? Is it big yeah. out there? Yeah. All the Disney stuff's massive, but we have Disney Channel here as well. Um, so when we were, uh, I I grew up in the, I was born in the late eighties. I grew up in the nineties, and our main channels here for that sort of stuff we had Nickelodeon and Disney Channel. So we had wow. Yeah, it was all, and I'm sure that's the same for the rest of Europe as well. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Wow, that's so. You guys have been tagging along. <laughs> the whole, isn't that the whole how it time. always goes? England are just tagging along in America's shadow, basically. Not, not at all. But I mean, as far as <laughs> you know, hey, that's. I just I never knew that the audience was international. You know, as mm. as that that's insane to me yeah i'm sure people would recognize you here if you was walking in london people would know people would be like like you know people that that loved smart guy the people of my in my age bracket you know in their like you know early 30s mid 30s that sort of you know Mm. and then depending on you know spanning sister sister lizzie mcguire that spans that even further but I mean, you you then you go on to do like I was watching your show reel, um, which is awesome, is on on YouTube, and you do like some darker stuff as well. It's like from a movie called yeah. Shot. Yes, yeah, that was a that was a yeah that was a dark one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what what was that experience like? That's the most un-Disney stuff, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, you know, there comes a time where you know you've done enough Disney. that you're like let me let me explore the darker side of what I could do with the character and I don't know if it's uh maybe my energy or maybe my demeanor that gives off this thing with casting agents and managers that go let's give RV the villain role (laughs) you know like let's let's deem you know let's he's the fun villain you know he's the fun guy that has no good intentions (laughs) you know he's the mischievous guy uh that they always do that to me so I I said okay let me explore that that project came to me um through my agent once again Roger Roth was producing and Boo is the character that I played you know in that movie uh shot and so um that came off the heels of Lizzie McGuire um Lizzie McGuire was I had just finished it not too long ago and, um, you know, there was an opportunity for me to do some drama. So I said, okay, I'm going to flex my dramatic muscle here. Let me see how far I can push myself into character acting. Once again, I wanted to be a really good character actor. So I'm, I'm trying to see um, if I could leave Mr. Diggs in the dirt and see if I could become someone totally different, which it worked, you know. <laughs> but uh, for me, the, I, I've grown up with those characters, with those people in Los Angeles my whole life. It right. did, it wasn't it wasn't a, a stretch for me to know a, a boo you know or a um uh the gentleman that um uh, that uh all, all, just just all those people like all those stereotypes that I played in you know that I played in that movie those were basically all those stereotypes the people that I always grew up with or the people that I would always see around the neighborhood so that that's not that's easy to do you know for me um the story was was good and it got it gave me a chance to explore that area but truth be told i didn't when i saw it on screen i didn't like who i was seeing you know i just didn't i know it was a thing where i was supposed to be a character but i was going dang you know i'm actually angry at this person i'm mad huh. that he you know that he did that he betrayed his friend like that you know i'm mad that he shot an innocent kid you know in the streets for basically trying to cover up some stuff that he did you know and that's what my character my character was the villain in the movie you know um and what I did in the movie you'd have to go see it but it was more sinister than that you know but uh I I just didn't like I didn't 
like myself after that, <laughs> you know? So, um, cause, because these characters kind of stick with you mm. a little bit after you do them. I remember um, after Newsies, it was, it took me about six months to get rid of my New York accent. Mm-hmm. And every now and again, I'll probably slip into it unknowingly. You know, I mean, we had a dialect coach and everything, but that accent was hard to get rid of, you know. What well, did it make you from that experience then on, on that movie? Did you become like more selective? Like not saying you weren't being selective before, but it make you feel like, you know, so that you didn't feel like that again about a character that you were going to play. Yeah, I think I did. Yeah. During that time, because, you know, back in LA in the, in the early mid nineties, you know, that was gangster rap was everywhere. Pac, Tupac and the the East coast, West coast feud was going down. Um, You know, there wasn't a whole lot of positivity going on in hip hop back then, (laughs) you know, in the the mid nineties and in the late nineties, you know? So I didn't want to, I just, I I guess I felt like I didn't want to um, add to that Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. I just, we already had enough of it. We pushed hardcore as hard as we can hardcore push it. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like looking at this stuff going, yeah, we know the movie isn't about gangsters. We know the movie isn't about, you know, me doing something or whatever. It was about this photographer that wanted to take pictures of urban life and light and real life. But he got caught up into this gang, you know, life that he couldn't get himself out of because he was too deep in it now. You know, that's what the movie shot was about, you know, but, you know, no one's looking at the front of the box. You know, you see me there with two guns and you see Lloyd on the front and, you know, Lloyd's famous for his role in Boys in the Hood. Everybody knows that role, you know, and then he's famous also for another role, right? And Poetic Justice, you know, God bless him, man. He, he was during that time, he was trying to, and he was a real blood. Like he was from jungles. He was Lloyd Avery II. If people look him up, he was as about as authentic a gang member from Los Angeles was. And that, and he was trying to shed all of that, you know, during that time. And it caught up to him, you know. So unfortunately, he met his demise. Um, but you know, these are these are guys that were. He was trying to. She was trying to change his life. And that movie was going to be the the starting block for him to go in a whole different trajectory. You know, it just, it just didn't happen. The, the LA swallowed him up, you know, so he had to do what he had to do to uh, survive out here. And it, it it's like that sometimes, but you know, that's just, uh, it's an unfortunate story. Yeah. That's super sad. That's super yeah. sad. Yeah. But you then, as as you go forward, you do more like you do some voice acting. I mean, how do you find that in comparison to um, at real in in person acting? It's all acting, right? Like (laughs) you're you're using your voice to do the acting thing, and yeah, don't you do the yeah? So it's like uh, it's easier, um, but uh, you know, convenience wise. It's just more, I, I don't, I, I take it back. I don't think voiceover acting is easier than on-screen acting because really you have, it has to come from here when you're voice acting. Um, if you are dressing up in a costume, you're getting makeup and hair done, you can kind of sink into the character and become that character. Whereas with voice acting, you know, you're relying on, you know, a sketch or you know a piece of paper and then you're trying to within that whole situation figure out emotions and you know uh, and convey that through you know the the words that you're giving on the page and so um it's harder in some ways but then again it's more convenient with regard to just you know all i have to do is stand in front of this microphone (laughs) you know and give a performance you know and so yeah um, I did a couple of uh, voices on the Saints Row 2 uh, video game uh, for uh, Grand. I think, uh, yeah, a couple of voices on Grand Theft Auto, a couple of voices on um, Saints Row, which is a video game for PS3. 
and uh, PS2 and 3, PS3. And um, I did a bunch. Of, I was I would do a bunch of radio ads for McDonald's and for and I also did Bebe's Kids. I think Bebe's Kids, the uh, the animated movie, um, was my first venture into voice acting. You know, um, and also uh, Marcus Houston was in that movie too. So it's like I always get these. You know, I'm always working with kind of the same <laughs> kind of people. So I did a couple of uh, loose characters in that film, and. Um, you know, also I did some voiceover work for a Robert Townsend movie called Meteor Man, which in the early 90s was like the first on-screen black superhero that you're going to ever see. <laughs> it's, you know, Meteor Man was one of those movies that was like, oh, now we get to see. black. that's why the 90s is so prominent. You know, you get to see a, a lot of firsts, you know, with the 90s. And um that was fun times too. And so in 2015, I started really getting into voiceover work um, really hardcore. And I found that a lot of my friends were there as well. Like OG Banks III, uh, who does a ton of voiceover work. Um, I think he, he plays Luke Cage, you know, in a couple of different um, uh, animated features. He's also stretch. He's on one of the Stretch Armstrong shows on network on Netflix as well. Um, he was there, you know, he'd been doing voiceover work long before Newsies, me and him were in news, me and him was in Newsies together. And so that's kind of my, my big brother in the industry too. So, um, voiceover work, uh, commercials, uh, film, uh, a lot of, uh, radio ads, a lot of voiceover announcery stuff. Yeah. That's the stuff that, uh, gets me going, especially now, you know, um, I did a film, I, I, I did a TV show for Klasky Shupo, um, called, uh, Ace Bogard. And it was, that was my first, uh, uh, you know, real character that I was given, um, with regard to animation. And so, uh, Klasky Shupo is the studio that gives you Rugrats. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Rugrats is everyone loves Rugrats, right? Of course, definitely. That, but that's the studio that gave you Rugrats. So they they produce a couple of different pilot cartoons per year, and so I was hired to do a pilot called Ace Bogard and um, Will Forte from uh, Mad TV fame, and also he was in the yeah. Will was also in the. Um, Let's see. He was also in the Three Stooges movie. He mm-hmm. played Curly. Yeah. Uh, in the Three Stooges film. He was also a voice on that show with me. And I got to play a ninja with an afro. So, yeah, it was fun. Like that. Yeah, that, that was something I named Soda. We were all trapped on this island and uh, it was a, it was a great experience. So I learned a lot during that um, time and doing VO, you know, that's, but VO is real, real good to me <laughs> as of late. Yeah. That's awesome. And you have a great voice, like for, for all of that. Like I could, you know, I could imagine, and that's cool to be like, you know, solidified in video games as well, because again, that's like completely international around the world as well. Uh, I mean, you'd be great to host your own podcast, just thinking about it, like with all of the people, you know, and talking about people that, you know, you've all sort of come up in Hollywood together and how you keep re-emerging just something for you to think about perhaps yeah I might do it like I've been thinking about doing that you know um having a show uh just to discuss uh first of all I wanted to do a couple of videos to discuss some of my character work you know and and where the inspiration behind some of the characters because a lot of people hit me up and go where the heck did you come up with that you know I go okay well I'll I'll give you the game you know a little bit um after that so um yeah i think um talking about some people you know acting choices um the choices people make with when they're formulating characters and stuff you know some of the more prominent you know characters from the 90s those would be great things to have a podcast about so yeah i'm thinking about it i'm thinking about doing it that'd be awesome i'm old i'm tired house and I'm, I'm i'm doing you know work you know uh I'm, I'm using the power tools and stuff like that you know so yeah <laughs> i'm down for all of that stuff well you don't look old or tired so oh, <laughs> Ooh, knock on wood knock <laughs> on wood yeah <laughs> well, so what about what's uh 
going forward? I mean, are you just going to, you want to continue in all of these different, you know, directions? You still want to do the voiceover, the acting, you know, commercials, all of these things, or is there like one particular lane you want to go to? Animation. Animation is my lane. Producing it and drawing it. And, um, you know, kind of being like, you know, a young Seth MacFarlane, that kind of vibe, you know? So I've been, during the pandemic, I draw you know too so I don't you know a lot of people you know that don't really know that I draw but you know I I'm kind of the you know when I was in my band I I did a lot of logo work and I did a lot of artwork for them and um and also when I was in Newsies um art has been a big part of who I am um me and Luke Edwards came up with you know we were already at uh 12 years old coming up with merchandising for newsies and stuff you know so we created I created a toy you know a toy line for new for all the characters for newsies I created um a monopoly video game I'm not video game a monopoly game that we would play in the classroom for newsies and stuff like that I sent it to them you know to um to get reviewed they declined but <laughs> it was uh, it was cool to have like my toy line actually declined by Disney because it showed that they were nice enough to look at it, first of all. And it, it showed that I was, you know, it kind of inspired me to go, OK, cool. I could actually do this later on in the game if I want, you know, if yeah. I wanted to bring up plans of, you know, because I'm, I'm a huge fan of G.I. Joe toys, uh, you know, the early articulated the articulation um gi joe action figures so i fashioned all the all of our newsies um you know main cast uh as to gi joe toys and gave them you know specific uh you know movements and things of that nature so yeah man like i uh in my brain i'm kind of entrepreneurial like that i like cartoons i love to draw producing i produced the cartoon uh called kickflip uh, about three um, black skateboarders who their boards get uh, struck by lightning, by an alien lightning, and they they transform into these surfboards. So they, they're superheroes and stuff. So I, I, I produced that uh, 360. I wrote the, uh, the treatment uh, for the pilot. I, I shot the pilot here. I produced the pilot here. I did a lot of the voices for them just for the pilot. So it was a five-minute sizzle reel. And I do, I did that just specifically because one, I wanted to see if I could, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Which it, successfully I did. No one picked it up, but you know, I got a chance to pitch it. And now I'm like onto my next couple of projects with regard to that. So yeah, there's been talk of, you know, um, the Newsies origin story that I was working on, um, you know, where Boots and, and Jack are in Brooklyn and things of that nature. So yeah, I'm, I'm working on that. <laughs> and so there's some things that I am working on uh, actively, but I kind of got to keep hush on it until, you know, uh, maybe somebody will, <laughs> uh, you know, go ahead and take the idea. So I'm just, uh, you know, during the pandemic, I, I got my skill set up with regards to um, 3D animation, learning to use certain uh, software like Maya and ZBrush, things of that nature. So yeah, I'm still working very actively in animation and what have you. I'm just waiting for the right time to, you know, reveal, <laughs> you know, some, some work and then pit, pitch it because I like to stay kind of hush, hush, hush um, with regard to like projects. I hate like, you know, telling people what you're doing because then they, they're salivating for it. Right. And then when it doesn't come, they're like disappointed, you know? So I, you know, even though I've said all this stuff, you know, it's just like a trinket. I'll give someone something, you know, to know it's there. And then when it comes out, it's like, oh, that was the thing you were talking about, you know? Um, but that's kind of how I roll. Like even commercial work, I never post about it until it airs, <laughs> you know, like, or I'll, I'll never talk about a project that I'm filming until it airs. And then someone says, hey, I saw you on that Toyota commercial. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. I just filmed that thing. So let me find it and post it up. Hey, guys, here's my Toyota commercial, you know, or uh, that I'm doing a voice for NASCAR through Fox and things of that nature. So, yeah, um, voiceover, you, you'll never see me coming with regard to voices. But I think that's kind of the way voiceover should work. <laughs> that's yeah. all of that is so amazing, incredibly like multi-talented and creative 
so cool very cool i mean uh where can people find you you know on social media and those places to keep up to date i mean i'll put the links below but you know yeah where can they get you well, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at uh, Lowman01, L-O-W-E-M-A-N-0-1. That's a terrible name, but I think I came up with that in high school and I, I wrote it on my backpack. So <laughs> just, it was going to be useful some, at some point in time or another. Um, and I'm on Facebook. Uh, with um, You can just search me at R-V Low Jr., A-R-V-I-E, last name Low, L-O-W-E-J-R. So Facebook.com, R-V Low Jr., I'm there. And then Lowman01 at instagram so i'm there in those two places and if you want to just google me randomly just type my name into a search engine and random stuff will come up probably terrible random stuff (laughs) yeah well uh, it's been an absolute honor to talk with you it's so interesting uh amazing i'm sure everybody's going to enjoy it so i have all of the links below for your social media and uh yeah like just wish you can you know continued success of everything that you do and can't wait to you know to enjoy the ride you know as watching that i appreciate it you know what i mean nah, nah, it sounded perfect to me simon that's great everyone will figure it out they'll check out the <laughs> <laughs> cool. cool hey well, thank, thank you, you. For having me on by the way i really appreciate it like this was fun i gotta probably do more of these